Hello, listeners. Welcome back to TSR episode 207. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Brian. How's it going? It's Sunday morning. It is Sunday morning, right before the World Cup. Yay! Which we will be watching right after this, the World Cup finals. Go USA. USA. Uh, hey, what have we been up to lately? It's been a while since we've recorded, and we apologize for that, except not really, because... I'm... we... I'm pregnant. And, and I'm tired all the time, and I'm very sorry, but... You're not that sorry. Well, I mean, I wish I was not tired, but there's really nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but thankfully, I am in the second trimester now, which means I'm less tired. So hopefully, we will be able to record more often meaning one twice a month yeah so uh probably for a while it's just going to be one tsr and one mouse droid a month yeah um if we can squeeze in other stuff there we'll do that but uh that is the we're being kind to ourselves while we're going through a large life-changing event yes and then you know once the baby comes we'll be like ah what do we do what do we do then we'll become. Then TSR will pivot to a parenting podcast. <laughs> we were joking, only kind of. Nerd parenting. Yeah, there's not enough good nerd parenting shows out. I mean, there. I'm sure there is. We just haven't looked for any. True, because <laughs> the last thing we need right now is more podcasts or more more advice. Oh yeah, there's so much advice. There is a lot of advice. Uh, as for me, I started reading Chuck Wendig's Wanderers. Um, I tore through the first 150 pages before we had holiday stuff come up that made it so I couldn't read. I, if, if a Michael Crichton thriller and a Stephen King novel had a love child, this would be it. That's, that's good praise. It's, it, it's really good so far. Um, I can already, I can see why it was getting such glowing, uh, reviews prior to release. So is it, like, a horror book? It's not, it's not horror horror. I think, um, if I were to make a comparison for you specifically, mm-hmm. uh, it's a little closer to Seasons of Passage than anything else. Ah, okay. So if you could do that, you can do this. Yeah. I'm going to um, th- read that book again. But. It's such a good book. I wish it was available in digital. Me too. Uh, Seasons of Passage. To be clear, Chuck Wendig's Wanderers is available in digital. Yes. And you should get it. It's very good. <laughs> yes. I will have a review on the blog when I'm done with it. Yes. Uh, what about you? Um, I read... So I haven't been reading as much as I wanted to because, as I previously mentioned, my my brain isn't working the way it used to be. So I am, you know, spending a lot of time reading books that I've read before a billion times because they're comfort reads and they're, you know, they're good for me to get through right now. But I did read Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, who uh, it is a sort of alternate universe uh, romance book in which the first son of the first female U.S. president, falls in love with the Prince of Wales. And this is not Prince William or Prince Harry. It is Prince Henry, who is the youngest son of uh, that generation. So it is... I, I don't know if there's, like, a specific turning point in the alternate universe, like, when the uh, royals are, you know 
you know, maybe Edward didn't abdicate the throne or something like that. I I was starting to figure it out, and then I was just like, eh, no, whatever. Or she just was like, I can't use real people's names, so I'm just gonna make up. Just go with it, right? But it's um, it's adorable. It's really cute. Uh, the romance is like, it's really adorable without being twee. Uh, and it's the hopeful book about politics that I needed right now. Um, it's not like burn everything down, but it's like, this is what things could be like. (laughs) Um, so if you are a fan of like, you know, political stuff like the West Wing, uh, and also romance, uh, you will like this book um also there's a lot of star wars references which hooked me immediately okay yeah this book is right up (laughs) your alley like he the he's the han to his leia it's really adorable um so i there are some parts that i saw people tweet about that can be very uh triggering and distressing to readers um the the first son uh basically during this book realizes that he's bi because he's you know never had a real boyfriend before and he's always assumed that he was straight uh then realizes uh no i actually am you know attracted to this guy so i'm not straight also straight (laughs) one of the lines from the books is straight guys don't spend this much time worrying about whether they're straight or not (laughs) uh and there's like you know there's parts where he they are kind of without going into too many spoilers they're outed and it's you know very distressing but it is definitely the the uh romance uh novel structure of the dark part happens before you can get to the happily ever after i could see this one being optioned uh, yeah, it, it, if not for a movie, I could definitely see it, like, on Netflix oh, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I, I was thinking this this has Netflix, uh, ne- a Netflix original written yeah. all over it. Yeah, it's really, it's really cute. I liked it a lot. Um, I also started, well, other than Alphabet Squadron, which we'll be talking about later, I read, I started reading Black Spire by Delilah Dawson. We got an arc of that, so I'm reading that, and hopefully... We'll finish it before I get our copy of Treason, because once that comes, I'll be dropping everything to read that. Nancy's already made it be known that everything will be dropped for Treason. Yes, and uh, it is July, which means it's Camp NaNoWriMo, and I've made myself start writing again. Uh, I was not writing because, you know, brain not working, but I'm making myself write average of 500 words per day. I think that's doable. And that's a very, that's a very, that's both productive and being kind to yourself, which is good right now. And I've gotten to the point where I've, I've gotten to like over 500 words and I'm like, oh, I could keep going, but I make myself stop because I want, because A, then I'll know where I'm going tomorrow and I Mm -hmm. won't be like, oh my God, there's blank. What am I going to write? But also because I just need to get my writing chops back under you. Yeah. Muscle memory. And then, you know. I can, even after we have this baby, I can take 30 minutes a day to write 500 words. And you don't think that's a lot. But 500 words. It adds up. You have a novel 
that you have a manuscript that's edited by the end of the year yeah at a 500 word clip yeah so i mean like a book a year you know when you're writing a having a full-time job and doing other stuff is, is a good clip yeah so that's what i'm trying for so put stick me hold me to it internet <laughs> <laughs> uh we had some fourth of july activities your mom was in town yep so we went over to the polynesian at uh, the magic kingdom resort to watch fireworks we did they was very good they're always wonderful uh one day we have to actually go back into the park because having the perimeters go off around you it, is really i great. think it might be a couple of years before we do yeah. that unfortunately <laughs> yeah but it's great and it's actually not that crowded. Um, a lot of people, I think we talked about this on the last episode of The Mouse Droid about how summer is actually not the most crowded time at Disney World anymore mm -mm. because everyone avoids it for the heat. Um, so if you can stand the heat and come during the summer, it's a fun time. And also like the 4th of July fireworks. Little, it's weirdly in a way a little bit cheaper mm -hmm. to come in the summer because uh, there's a lot of room rate uh, discounts. Mm -hmm. um, plus, Airfare is depressed. Yeah. Plus like the fireworks are great. So if you are a fan of fireworks and, you know, always wanted to come to Disney for the 4th of July fireworks or whatever, definitely you, I encourage you to do that. Um, also, you know, kids are out of school, so it's easy to take them down for that. And, uh, it's a lot less crowded than the Christmas, New Year's break. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, we went to one of our favorite hangout spots yesterday, Cloak and Blaster, a geek-themed pub. Yes, it is a lot of fun. Uh, we brought some games to play. They also have games there that you can check out. Um, so uh, if, you, you know, if you don't have anything at home, don't worry, you can bring your own. Uh, it is over by the University of Central Florida. Um, so if you're in the Orlando area, it's, you know, a bit of a drive, but it's it's worth it. The everyone who works there is a geek and a nerd. Sometimes they have special events. Their menu is all nerd themed. And uh, for people who enjoy alcohol and can drink alcohol, <laughs> uh, they have a good option uh, Brian, you especially like their yeah, beer their, options. Their craft beer selection is amazing. Which like, you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think, but no, um, it's it might actually be the best uh, craft beer selection of any place I've been to in Central Florida. Wow. Uh, they have all sorts of really good stuff, both on tap and uh, bottled. Um, so if you're in the Orlando area and you're looking for just an evening to get away from the parks, I heartily recommend Cloak and Blaster. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the drinks I got yesterday was called the Steve Rogers. <laughs> yes. It was an old-fashioned that was deliberately delivered on my left. <laughs> yes, the uh, the waitress specifically uh, mentioned that was how they have to serve it. <laughs> um, also, didn't she mention, like, the... One of the things you ordered, the last thing you ordered, they're like the only people in Florida that have that on draft. Or yes. Something. Oh, I got to look that one up. Uh, hashtag. Dragons so that I actually know the owner of it. Um, he uh, I, I met him via a Star Wars board along like 15 years ago. Uh, so, you know, I've, you know, been acquaintances with him and him and his wife opened this restaurant um and he was really big into like gaming and also like craft beer and stuff so that's why they're they're 
selection is so good because they're really into it. So yeah, uh, the the mead was uh, the hashtag dragons are real by B Nectar Meadery, <laughs> um, and it was really interesting. Um, it was it's a cherry chipotle mead aged in New Holland Brewing's dragons milk barrels with uh, cacao nibs. Um, just a really interesting profile. It's definitely not one you want to get more than one of, but, uh, yeah, this, uh, Cloak and Blaster is one of the few places that has it on tap in the country. That's crazy. And it is really, really good. Yeah. I will have more to say about that when we record our next brew house. <laughs> yes. Cross promotion. Mm-hmm. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's quite good. <laughs> uh, yes, and if you want to hear more beer talk, uh, join us on the Tashi Station Brew House. Yes. Where we make beer. It's great. <laughs> All right. Uh, of course, we also did one other thing uh, last week. We did. Mm-hmm. Yes. We bought baby furniture. Bought a crib and a rocking chair. We're already starting to furnish the room and buy clothes. And yes, the room's theme is... Star Wars. And space. Yep. Yes. On brand. Yes. And no, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a boy. Because I'm a girl and my house is entirely themed Star Wars. Obviously, Mm -hmm. the people listening to this podcast won't make that assumption, but I have had other people make that assumption, so I am cutting that off. Cutting it off. Yep. Yep. No good. No stereotypes here. (laughs) All right. Moving on to the news. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home released. You and I finally finally watched homecoming we did watch homecoming we liked it so now we need to find a time to go watch far from home and it's getting surprisingly hard for us to get out to the get out to the theater probably next weekend we'll have time we would have had time this weekend we probably would have gone now yeah but then the world cup was happening so yeah if we we didn't have have a world cup final today i think we would have caught like uh, a matinee yeah but i'm I'm sure we could do it i'm sure we could do next next weekend yeah and the uh but it's been getting good reviews. I think it made like a. It's projected projected to make like 180 million dollars. Ooh, not which is, bad. Which is good. Um, it is. I I am mostly interested in it for the post end game. Um, how the state of the of the Marvel universe is. Yeah, from everything <laughs> the, I'm understand is that it steers very hard which, into that. Which I was hoping for, because we were discussing this last night at Cloak and Blaster is how the thing that was very annoying about Infinity War was everyone sort of saying, oh, well, we're all, we know everyone's going to come back. And it's like, but that's not the story. That's not important. That's, you know, we want to know how and what is the cost. And, you know, I'm really glad that they actually like, Mate had a five-year time jump, so they made what happened have an effect, and I'm really interested to see where they go. And we don't know, like, any of the schedule for the upcoming... Like, this is the last movie that has a set release date, Yeah, we don't know what's coming next. Like, we know, like, supposedly they're, they're filming a Black Widow movie. We know that they've, you know, they've announced the Eternals, and we know they're gonna do Black Panther two because they'd be dumb we know they're gonna do guardians three but like they haven't come out and like announced the whole like slate i think disney did like when disney announced like their their live action movies for like the next 10 well, years yeah, they, they said a bunch of untitled yeah marvel untitled movies. marvel movie untitled marvel movie so we don't 
we can we know like the idea of when they're coming out but we don't know like what, what phase four is going to be <laughs> so that'll be interesting yeah so we'll find out more hopefully i mean is marvel at san diego this year or oh you know d23 no. is when if we yeah. hear anything it'll happen at D23 marvel is in not august. at san diego uh but d23 in august i bet we hear something on that yes as well as a whole bunch of other stuff yeah uh disney cast hallie bailey and i had to read that one twice when yeah. that news broke because <laughs> I, I was everyone like everyone did. else in red hallie bailey barry hallie barry yes <laughs> no hallie bailey as ariel in the live action little mermaid yes and i like that casting yeah um the reactions were very much uh, in three camps. A, this is good. A, uh, I don't know who she is, which people apparently think that means something. Like, people would be like, who is that? Um, well, it's a actress who's going to be in this movie who you will know afterwards because of this movie. <laughs> um, and then there are the racists, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which who are very angry and which I'm happy about them being angry. I mean, I'm not happy that there are racists who are angry, but their tears are delicious mm-hmm. because they are they are framing their outrage being about the hair color and how Ariel was so important to all the redheads when they were younger because they're so underrepresented, which first of all, redheads are really not underrepresented compared to how many natural redheads there are in the world. (laughs) Uh, Whereas black people in movies are actually underrepresented for the percentage of the population. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So, um, you are just covering up for racism if you're concerned about that. Correct. Now, I only have one other thing to say about this. What? Cast Idris Elba as Triton, you cowards. <laughs> that would be good. Um, actually, I saw some people saying that they should cast the actor who played him in the Disney, or in the um, Broadway version, who is also black, apparently. I would take that. Which, you know... Didn't hear a lot of outrage about that. Uh, but yeah. Also, uh, one last word about this. Hair dye exists. exists. Also wigs. And Disney is sure to have a big makeup and costume budget for these movies. So don't worry. I'm sure it will be fine. Uh, I listened to a video of her singing, and she has a very, very beautiful voice, which I think is the most important thing for The Little Mermaid. I would concur. Like, you know, the whole point is she gives up her voice. Uh, and Yeah. So, I'm here for it. Me as well. I mean, I'm not here for it because we've discussed about the live action movies beforehand. <laughs> but if they're going to do them, I'm glad that there are, you know... Doing something like, different. Thi- this I like. This is putting a twist on it. Mm-hmm. This is what I've been wanting. If they're going to do live action movies, I've been wanting them to do it in a way that they put a twist on it. Yes. So Agreed. that's good. I like that. Yeah. Uh, hey, it's the Star Wars Corner. Uh, Celebration Anaheim tickets went on sale and promptly sold out. <laughs> when did Star Wars become San Diego Comic-Con is good what I want to know. God. So we were nervous about hotels. Because Chicago, we got basically locked, blocked out of the hotels. Like, we were on as Which, soon as they 
went on sale and we couldn't get one. Which probably has a lot more to do with Chicago's, frankly, subpar hotel infrastructure. But we were like, okay, that's what we're most worried about because of what happened in Chicago. But also we were a little more hopeful because Anaheim is Anaheim and they've got Disney World, Disneyland and all of the hotels nearby, like a lot more than Chicago. Um, so we were like, okay, well, I think we'll be okay getting a hotel, but we want to be there. We want to be in the line right away. And tickets, you know, we'll be there to get tickets right away. But we're not as worried because the tickets for Chicago lasted like two days, I think, before yeah, they sold out, which before. was still... Crazy. Crazy at the time. The t- 40 tickets sold out that day within like an, an hour, hour, which is ridiculous. Uh, and I think the Saturday and Friday tickets are also sold out now. Um, I, I don't know if they sold the same amount of tickets as Chicago uh, with this, like, with selling out so quickly, I'm I'm inclined to say they don't they didn't sell as many tickets to Chicago, um, which people are mad about. But also, people were mad about like lines and everything. So it's like, okay, do you want them to restrict the number of tickets or not? Uh, thankfully, they have the light um, resale website set up already. Yeah. So if you did not were not able to get a ticket, go to the light. Um, L Y T E. It's their resale. Um, and re- just register now. Yeah. And so if people have to sell a ticket back, um, you can buy it through that site and there, and then you know that you'll be able to sign up for all the lotteries and all of that stuff. Um, which thankfully they know all that stuff now in advance. So we know what to do. It is, so, ourselves. It is so much nicer knowing all of that now, as opposed to figuring it out at the con. Right. So, you know, if people are buying tickets now and then they find out, okay, they're going to get a ticket through media or they're going to get a ticket from being a panelist, they can sell their tickets back through Light and you can buy them and it'll be easy and you won't have to pay scalper eBay fees, Mm -hmm. which they suck and they should die. (laughs) I agree. We are... You and I are crazy for going to this convention, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to go to this convention with an eight-month-old baby. Flying cross country with an eight-month-old baby. And then, right after the con ends. We're going on an Alaska cruise. I mean, we would not be going to Celebration if we were not also going on the Alaska cruise, because we figured we're going to be on that coast anyway. So that will give us time to get used to the time change (laughs) and not be jet lagged and get our baby, you know, ready for Alaska. Also, we're doing it in the right order. Crazy convention first. Relaxing relaxing cruise cruise second. second. Relaxing cruise with Brian's parents who will take the baby and let us nap. (laughs) So if if you have gone to celebration with a baby... Please send us tips. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is this is a case where we are actively we are, soliciting yes, advice. Yes, we are soliciting advice. Uh, we will be trying. We will be sleep training our baby. We will also be um, bringing the baby to Disney World often in the stroller to try to train them to fall asleep. That they can fall asleep in a stroller and anywhere. So we won't be like they won't sleep outside of their crib. We're not going to sleep for two weeks. 
Uh, we really are turning into a parent bo- parent <laughs> podcast. Uh, Sorry. Listeners, if you wish to tune out, we understand. <laughs> We're sorry. Yes. Uh, we, we, are, we should apologize in advance because uh, we've already discussed uh, we might not be able to see The Rise of Skywalker on premiere night because... You're due December 14th. <laughs> and the movie will come out December 19th. So, uh, yeah. That'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. At least... At least we won't have to worry about spoilers because we'll be too busy to be on the internet. <laughs> we'll be too busy re- trying to uh, figure out the whole parenting thing and or sleeping. Yes. Uh, good times. Uh, the Fallen. Or- yeah. <laughs> yes, we should. The Fallen Order demo was uh, released at E3. Showed a lot of Uncharted-like gameplay. Uh, very visually stunning game. Mm-hmm. Left me a little underwhelmed on the gameplay perspective, but apparently there's a lot of gameplay mechanics that they didn't show that had they shown it, I would have been a lot more interested. Yeah, so in our Slack group, which you can get into by Patreon. pledging... Patreon.com slash Tashi Station, $1 level gets you in <laughs> under the, into the Slack team. So uh, the, the overall consensus among our Slack group was kind of, eh, you know, people were excited, you know, they're going to play it, but also it wasn't as like excited because a you know white male protagonist you know jedi trying to escape the empire is something we've seen already but then they posted they posted more info about the i don't know you describe it because you play video games and it was described as sort of being very mass effect like and everyone was more excited now a little mass effect like more metroid like um mm. and its traversal system which that's a lot more interesting to me uh had that been shown rather than just uh the on the rails combat that was uh shown in the gameplay demo at e3 mm-hmm. that would have caught my attention a lot faster yes so yes there is another star wars game coming out this year mm-hmm. uh thrawn treason has an excerpt and a san diego cover co- comic con cover that i need Yes. Uh, so, Thrawn Treason is scheduled for release July 23rd. Um, it will be released at Comic-Con early with an exclusive cover, which has Thrawn on a throne, uh, sitting in a very provocative style pose. Good God, Twitter got th- so thirsty that day. It was great. It was amazing. And then behind him are all of the chiss and... The way the picture is staged, it's the lighting gets darker, so all you can see is their eyes as the as it gets you know more toward the sides, and it um, uh, Tom Darth and Turnus on Twitter uh, said that he, it was inspired by the Deceived t- trailer from the Old Republic game. Uh, where all of the lightsabers light up inside of the transport, um, which was a very cool visual, and I was very, uh, very pleased to see this cover. Um, also, the chiss to the standing on Thrawn's left, our right, is Admiral Aralani, and I'm very happy to see her in this book. And they also uh, released an excerpt with Thrawn 
and Krennic and Tarkin and Palpatine and the new Grand Admiral Savit, I believe his name is, uh, at a dinner party, worst dinner party ever, <laughs> uh, all discussing the Death Star versus the TIE Defender and uh, basically Thrawn gets pulled into um, fixing this problem with distribution because there are like Minoc like creatures uh, affecting the production, uh, and if he can fix it within a within a week, he will get uh, more the money for his tight defender project. <laughs> I'm very excited for this book and to see Eli Vanto again, and I'm also very scared. So yeah, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, Michelle. Rejuan, uh, named Lucasfilm Senior VP of Live Action Development and Production. Yes. Uh, she has been essentially J.J. Abrams' right-hand person over at uh, Bad Robot. Yeah. Uh, working on a number of uh, Abrams' uh, major blockbuster films. Um, so it is very cool to see her heading up the uh, VP, uh, heading up the uh, live action development and production side of things. Uh, her... Her credentials are great, and it's awesome to see Lucasfilm uh, putting more women uh, behind the camera. Can we can we just mention how awful people are? Because when it was announced that she had gotten this role, first of all, there was the usual suspects who were like, "Oh yay, uh, no more Kathleen Kennedy," but that's not what this meant um but also there are people who were criticizing her credentials and saying she didn't have enough credentials and experience to take on this role and it's really hypocritical the way people react to women getting positions of power and versus men getting them um i think we've discussed on the podcast you know Regardless of your feelings about the movies themselves, Ryan Johnson didn't have the most credentials before getting The Last Jedi. Like, he'd had several, you know, he had a couple indie films, one blockbuster ish film, and some TV writing. Yeah. And he, I mean, he was very well known for that. Like, his Breaking Bad episodes were like really like some of the best in the series, but like, it's not the type of name recognition like of a jj abrams like jj abrams got the force awakens and no one questioned oh of course he know he knows what he's doing and he has the experience but you know ryan johnson was more of a risk but people didn't really question it mm-hmm. at first they were like oh that's a cool thing uh john kasdan Basically, the only reason he re- got to co-write Solo is because his dad is Lawrence Kasdan. Like, look at look at his credits. They're kind of non-existent for a movie of Solo's caliber. But then someone who has worked with J.J. Abrams for years. I mean, not just worked with J.J. Abrams, but has been doing production with the with Bad Robot, a company that is in a that Hollywood is in a bidding war yeah. over to secure exclusive films from mm-hmm. like she knows she, she has the experience just because you don't know her name 
you know, off the top of your head doesn't mean she's not qualified for the position. (laughs) How many producers can you really name off the top of your head? Right. And this happens with, like, women directors. This happens with all women behind the scenes in film. And it's really frustrating. I mean, it happened with Kathleen Kennedy when she got named head of Lucasfilm. And now people are still questioning whether or not she's qualified. Like, which is utterly ridiculous because she's produced, like, every blockbuster movie you're going to be hard pressed to name a lot you're going to be hard pressed to name more than five people five producers yeah with more production credits and success than kathleen kennedy i'm not even sure if there's three yeah so you know that's just frustrating and something i wanted to mention uh you know women are women are subject to a lot more scrutiny and having to you know, have a lot more experience and credentials when they're hired for a production role than yeah. men are. So, men are given a lot more chances. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm sorry, but if being a producer for Bad Robot is not qualification enough, then what the hell is? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, moving on to our discussion topic <laughs> this week. We are really pushing away anyone who doesn't want to hear our, our social justice warrior talk I, i'm okay with i feel that. like that ship sailed about four years ago <laughs> i mean i'm just saying sometimes people stick around and you know i've got i'm gonna use my one pg-13 f-bomb here yes i've got so many fewer fucks to give these days <laughs> yes yep oh well Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, let's talk about Alphabet Squadron. Yes, let's talk about it. Uh, Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed. Um, overall impressions. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you go first? Because you read it before me, okay. and you ta- you talked. Plug cross promotional plug. Uh, the Kanji Cast was also about Alphabet Squadron this month. So if you would like to hear another Asian perspective on that, please listen to the Kanji Cast. Yeah, Go we, ahead, uh, Brian. <laughs> we, we did review it on KanjiCast as well, but we'll talk about Which it Which was funny. Too. Brian was recording it went right when I started reading it. So, like, the door was kind of halfway open. And then once they started talking about it, I'm like, oh, crap. I need to close the door <laughs> so I don't get spoiled. Uh, so, yeah, overall, I really enjoyed the book. Um, uh, it is a book that does have first in a trilogy kind of pacing things where it can plot a little bit as you're getting the band together. Um, But the important thing is that I really like the band. Mm -hmm. I love the characters in the book and the, and the characters carry, uh, carry it through even when the pacing is a little, a little scattershot is uh, you have to do those normal things to set up a trilogy. Um, I really enjoyed it. It reminded me a little bit of, the, the obvious comparison is the X-Wing books. Yeah. So tonally, I'd say it sits somewhere in between a Mike Stack pulling an Aaron Alston book. Um, it doesn't have the laugh out loud Alstonisms, but um, it's not it's not as it's not as uh, military science fiction as Stackpole. Yeah. Uh, the there's still there's still a focus on the characters first and foremost. Uh, so. If you like the Wraith books a little more than the X than the uh, Rogue Squadron books, you might be a little more at home uh, with uh, Alphabet Squadron. Yeah, there was a lot less squadrony 
stuff um, because it's only five people and they're kind of thrown together out of necessity, not necessarily we're putting together a squadron and we're going to interview people and make sure we have the best pilots for the job. Like, that's not what this book is. This book is these five people are thrown together to take down Shadowwing and they are basically given this task because they are the only ones there that can not the only ones that can do it but they have nothing else to do basically Mm -hmm. um and uh the the person who is putting together this working group uh basically has no other uh resources other than these five people (laughs) so Mm -hmm. it's a lot more desperate than rogue or race squadron which was all misfits um but it doesn't have that sort of like the starfighter combat stuff that you're used to like there's really only i think there's like one simulator mission in the book there's they do have obviously starfighter combat but it's not the same type of military style writing as the x-wing books yeah but the uh i don't want to say camaraderie because i don't think that, that exists is definitely yet. the wrong word for, uh, this, for the, them in this book. the relationships like the inter-squadron relationships are definitely there and you can see how that sort of camaraderie might come into play in the, the future yeah. books um I fully expect for them to gel very well and become that squadron that trusts and relies on each other in the second book, only for everything to come crashing down in the third as secrets are revealed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I so I realized with this book, I have a I don't want to say a hard time reading Alexander Freed because it's not like he's a bad writer. Um, but I definitely can't read his books as fast as others. Um, they're like the style of his writing, um, just they're, I can't, I can't explain. I don't want to say it's hard to read because that means that that sort of implies it's not good. It's just a different, st- just a different type of book for me. It's not one I'm going to go flying through. No, it's, it's one- his style is one that forces you to take your time mm-hmm. with it. That's not a bad thing. No, but it it necessitates you linger on it. Yeah, and take time to go through it. Right. Um. I I definitely liked this better than Twilight Company, which I actually never finished. Um. It's my fault. <laughs> but um, I. I enjoyed this book. Um, it it reminded me a lot of Race Squadron in that Race Squadron is not my favorite book of that trilogy by far to read. Um, at some points, I find it very plotting, but the end result is very worth it. Yeah. Um, and it's also like it's funny like to read stuff now as a writer. Because, like, in going from Alphabet Squadron and then I started Black Spire, I could tell it was a lot easier for me to, like, fly through Black Spire because the chapters are so short. (laughs) And it's like, oh, yeah, that advice about short, choppy chapters making people read faster is actually true. (laughs) Because it's like, oh, I finished a chapter. Let me go read some more. Where Alexander Freed has 
very long chapters that are very focused. But again, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's just a different style of book. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it and I'm excited for the next one, which we don't know when it's coming out. I'm kind of sad about that. I know. <laughs> um, I, I, I think there's a publishing panel happening at San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, we might find out a a release date. Yeah, I, I bet we hear something on it then. And this is the first actual trilogy that was... Planned as a trilogy from yeah. the beginning. Um, it was, uh, I believe both Chuck and a couple people over at Delray said that um, uh, Aftermath was not initially yeah, I a think, trilogy. Yeah, I think for Aftermath, they always had the idea that it that they they wanted it to be a trilogy but initially it was you know it was just planned as the one book and then they once you know they accepted his manuscript and were like okay do two more <laughs> now what i'm not clear about is if it was if that was what it was, or if it was planned as a trilogy from the beginning, but they might go with different authors for mm. the other books. So yeah. that I'm less sure about. Right. But the way this book ends, it's very clear that there is yeah. a there's continuation. Yeah. The the setup for this book from the beginning was that there'd be there it would be a trilogy by the same person and there'd be continuity through all three books. Right. Um and it that does show in some of the pacing. Yes. Um where if you have a trilogy, you can take your time yep. getting the band together yep. and introduce the introduce the characters to your readers slowly, which is a double edged sword. Uh, it's great for uh, it's great for latching on to characters. It can be a little plotty um, on the on the pace of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there were kind of uh, there were kind of dual storylines going through uh, the first quarter to third of the book um, that made it a little choppy. Yeah. Yeah. It And um, also it, it's every, um, every character had their, their POV. So like, but it, ne- it they didn't necessarily uh, use them equally. So like there were very few sections with Karos's point of view compared to a lot more with Chas and Nath and Will and then m- more with Erica. Um but it was sort of uneven so at points it could be like okay well there's really no point to us getting Karos's sections because it she doesn't necessarily have an arc in the book. Uh, but whereas like in books like, you know, Race Squadron, they had focused characters for every, every book that you focused on their POV. Yeah. Um, I, I do hope in the next books that, uh, not that I don't like Erica, I like her a lot, but I hope that it gets more equal as far as the other characters sort of yeah. getting their POVs too. Um, I definitely want to know more about Karos's backstory mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone's really. <laughs> uh, so should we go into yeah, the let's, characters let's, and uh, what we think? Let's talk about, about the characters. Erica is 
really interesting to me. Yeah. And we talked about this on the Kanji cast, but it felt like Erica was looking for her place, but not necessarily looking for redemption for herself, which is a fascinating approach on a character like this. Right. Like, she she wasn't asking for forgiveness for the things that she had done, but she also wasn't trying to, like, do things to make up for it. Things. Yeah. She was just, she was very much matter of fact, this is me, this is my back. This is my backstory. Uh, I'm here to help you guys now, and you know I'm no longer with the Empire, and you can either accept that or not. <laughs> Which I think sets up a really interesting trajectory to her arc for the rest of the trilogy. Can she find meaning mm-hmm. and belonging if she's not actively trying to atone for the thing she was a part of? It's very different from characters that we're used to, like Legends characters like Face Loran from the Race Squadron books, who Mm -hmm. is basically trying to make up for everything he did as a child in the Empire. Um, And we've even got characters like that in New Canon. Yeah, like all of, you know, like Dell and Iden from Inferno Squad, you know, or they realize they're on the wrong side and then they join the new republic and you know fight for that side uh although it takes them a while at first you know you've got a character like sinjir from the aftermath books who hates himself for things he did in the empire and basically doesn't believe he's worthy of anything now but realizes throughout the trilogy that he is whereas erica is very much well i joined the empire i learned because i wanted to learn to fly and defect the rebellion i never did but here i am now so whatever that's that's who i am <laughs> deal with it or not <laughs> i mean that, that sounds glib but it really is such an interesting way to approach right. a defector storyline it's very I, I i feel like it's very realistic yeah. like if you look at like historically and i'm gonna use like people like werner von braun i knew you were gonna go with that one <laughs> Sorry, it's the one that it's comes the, to mind. It's the history major in you. <laughs> well, the, also the space person. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, Werner von Braun built rockets for the Nazis. And then he was, you know, came over to the United States, you know, not necessarily of his own volition. Like, he, it wasn't like he defected prior to the war where, like, secretly he was talking with the U.S. Like, the war ended and, like... The U.S. and the Soviet Union were fighting over the Nazi scientists because they were both trying to, like, start a space program. And Werner von Braun happened to come to the United States and, you know, work on the NASA, work on all the early rockets and then moved over to NASA. And, you know, he obviously sort of, you know, was redeemed in the public eye because of what he did with NASA. But, you know, there's no questioning that he worked for the Nazis. Um, and, you know, he, I, I've, you know, read stories about him, like he converted to Christianity and he, you know, you know, was trying to basically be a better person and atone for the things that he'd done. But it was, it's not the sort of like, redemption story you hear where someone like you know he wasn't like going out and like 
helping the poor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he he was building rockets. So for Eric, it's like okay. Did she defect because it was the right thing to do, or did she defect because the calculus changed? Right. Like, you know, you could say, you know, it's it's an interesting thought experiment. All the Nazi scientists who ended up coming to the U.S., what would they have done had the war ended differently? Um, you know. Yeah. And you can say the same thing about any sort of war where, you know, the sides had been different. Would people have changed there? And I I do love that in Erica's story, we also get a glimpse on how defectors are viewed in the rebellion. Yeah, like, like the three the, different the three waves. distinct waves. Because we're very used to the traditional defector story of like, for for example, Tycho Selchu from Legends, who defected after the Death Star because oh, it's you know how could we have done that? Uh, sort of that was the wake-up call for a lot of Imperials. You also got characters like Thane Kyrell from Lost Stars had the same sort of yeah. situation. Um, and then you've got characters like Biggs and Hobby and no, Wedge and Cannon who defected before all of that. Um, but then you've also got characters who fought for the Empire through the war and defected after Endor because what are you going to do now? <laughs> You're basically lost. And then Operation Cinder happens and, oh, this sucks. Uh, whereas Erica, uh, her official story is that that was the last straw for her but really it wasn't <laughs> uh we find out much later at the end of the book that she is basically pushed to leave the empire and join the rebellion because her mentor realized that she would never leave otherwise um and it's very easy to criticize characters like that like sienna re has the same criticism from people saying you know she's naive like, how could she not, how could she still stay with the Empire? Um, but there's an argument to be made that a lot of people, if they were in the same situation, would mm -hmm. not join the Rebellion. <laughs> we want to all say we would join the Rebellion, but I don't know if we really would join the Rebellion. Yeah. The status quo is hard to give up, especially yeah. in a war. So, I mean, long story short, I love Erica just because this is such a wildly different take mm -hmm. and i cannot wait to see where they go with it from there and where her character goes from there yeah um you it's it's such it's such a new approach that i have no idea yeah you made a good point um i actually had kairos next but i want to move to nath because it's the same idea whereas um you had a good point in the kanji cast talking about how um Yurika and Nash are proof that defector stories never get old mm -hmm. because there are so many different ways kinds to of do them. it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we heard that argument with Aiden Versio or even Finn, like, oh, we've seen this story before, but we haven't seen that type of story before. We haven't seen a defector like Yurika. We haven't seen a defector like Nath. No. Who, uh, he was one of the ones who defected prior to Alderaan, but. He is not the good-hearted defector who wanted to who did it because it was the right thing to do. He did it because they got caught uh basically embezzling money and like 
then, so he was like, okay, well, I'm going to join the rebellion. And then I'm still doing these bad things. Yeah, Nath, <laughs> Nath is a defector, but also an asshole soldier of fortune. He is such an asshole soldier of fortune. And I really like him. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I love, I love the dynamic he brings. I also hate him. Yeah. I, is that, does that make sense? Like, yes, it does. Um, like, he he was very much, he reminded me very much of, like, a bro. And, like, a scummy bro who's gonna, like, hit on you and try to get in your pants. Uh, but also the sort of scummy bro who is super charming and can get in your pants because he's super charming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh which is evident, you know, evidence with him, how he gets along so easily with like someone like Will and even someone like Chas, who's so hard. Like mm-hmm. he's just like, whatever. I'm just Nath. I'm this guy, and take me or leave me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I liked him, and I didn't want to like. Him. <laughs> I, I. The, the 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 image that Delray released of him didn't help. No, it didn't. He's didn't. very attractive. Yes, <laughs> um, I am very concerned about uh, the dirt he's got on Erica. Yeah, and what he personally will do with it. Yeah, it's definitely not the same sort of situation like in a race squadron like series where Face Loran realizes who. Uh, character of laura is and of course he's he wants to arrest her but he has a good heart about it Mm -hmm. nath has his own agenda nath is in it for nath yeah and like basically he wanted to find out if she was involved with the destruction of his squadron Mm -hmm. and then if so he was probably gonna kill her yeah, and so. he finds out, well, she's not, so I'll kill this girl, this woman instead. <laughs> yeah, so Nath, um, I hate him, but I really love the dynamic yeah. he brings to the, to the story. I'm really curious to see if they will go with a sort of, um, not redemption arc for Nath, but if he, if he becomes more uh, for the cause yeah. and everything. I don't know if he will, but I can see it happening over the course of the three books. Yeah. Karis, on the other hand, we know the least about. Oh my god, she's like crazy murder woman. <laughs> crazy cloaked murder woman is a good way to describe she's her. very mystical and, I don't want to say religious, but spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wish I could say more, uh, but we just don't know that much. Yeah. They all had a life-changing field trip to a Jedi temple. Yeah, that was kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in which she told an interesting story. Yeah, I did. So that was something I have to go back and reread again because they obviously found some meaning in it, whereas I'm just like, I have no idea what the hell she's trying to say. <laughs> I don't understand Kairos's story. <laughs> um, Hopefully we'll find out more soon, but uh, yeah. she, she is the enigma of the group. Her yeah. back, her profile is classified. Yeah. Um, I uh, I do wonder if she has something to do with like the partisans because that's something I was wondering as well because they because Chas talks a lot about Jin Erso and Chas reveres Jin Erso and 
um, that whole Rogue One group. So, like, it making that connection, you know, it makes sense because Alexander Freed wrote the Rogue One novelization, and it's it's nice to have that sort of connection to other stories. Yeah. But I do wonder if it's there for a reason. Yeah. Um, so hopefully in the next book we'll find out more. Yeah. Uh, Will Lark, good, soft nature boy will work <laughs> yeah is perfect and delightful and must be protected at all costs so i was reading this book and they said that will was 19 and i said oh he's a baby and then nath said that he was 37 and i was like oh nath is old and then i'm like oh shit nath is a year younger than me oh <laughs> yeah but yeah will is definitely the soft boy of this book um he's very interesting though because he's a great pilot um but he doesn't want to fight a war (laughs) so he left his home which he calls home um because they needed people to fight for the rebellion and they asked for the best fighters from like each region of the planet and he was one of them so he's doing it for service to his planet but all he wants is to go home And I have a feeling this series is going to end with Will realizing he can never go home. Mm -hmm. He can go home physically, but not mentally. Yeah. And that's sad. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Now, I do believe that uh, he is bi. Yeah. Which uh, I thank you, Alex Freed. I appreciate it. They mentioned him kissing Satonique. And I believe they there was a me- reference to him having a relationship with someone and then realizing it wasn't going to work. Um, and I think it's kind of implied that he has a thing for Chas. Yeah, so it's I it's won't. not confirmed confirmed yet, but uh, he appears to be somewhere on the queer spectrum. They do. Uh, there it is mentioned in the book that Yurika has had both a girlfriend and a boyfriend. So she is confirmed by. Excellent. <laughs> um, then we have Chas, who wants to die and take everyone with her. Oh, Chas has a death wish. Uh, she's our punk, punk rock B-wing pilot with a de- death wish. Chas is a combination of Ton Fanon and Min Donos. Oh, she is. That's not a good combo. Yeah. And um, I made this comparison the other day on Twitter that... Will is Forrest Gump and Chas is Lieutenant Dan. Oh, dear. (laughs) You're not wrong. Because Will basically forced her to leave and save her life against her will. Um, So, and she basically resents him for that. Um, So, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how that dynamic works out. She no longer is like staring daggers at him every uh, every second but i have a feeling uh that relationship is gonna have a lot of ups and downs yeah mm-hmm. then we get to Adan, the intelligence agent who brian despises he's <laughs> i hate him more than i hate borsk failure that's really that's a lot of hatred borsk failure was an asshole yeah caden uh aiden karen is a manipulative gaslighting asshole. Yes. Yeah. Borskfilia was slimy and awful. I mean, he is still my most hated character. Slimy politician trope. Um, but Nath 
or not an F. Aidan is very much a manipulative. I'm going to be your friend, but then stab you in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily hate him yet. I might, uh, but he's definitely falling into the mold of scummy New Republic intelligence that we know so well. Mm-hmm. Ashley, uh, Megan, uh, who is uh, one of the hosts of the Voncast, more cross-promotion, made it- plugs in for all our shows today. She made a comparison on Twitter that it was very interesting to have a character like Adan, who is the New Republic intelligence agent who is awful, versus a Sinjir Rathvelis, the ex-Imperial loyalty officer, who is trying to- make a better of himself uh it gives and hates himself in the empire Mm -hmm. so it's a very different like dynamic of where you think new republic good empire bad it is another (laughs) reason i like this book Mm -hmm. is it does play with expectations a lot and this is a character that really drives that home right uh because he also uses a repurposed torture droid as a therapist (laughs) i really liked him (laughs) ito yeah um it's it's He's scary, um, but he's also uh, helpful, and it's nice to see characters having therapy when they need it. I mean, this is the first book, I think, that has actually addressed therapy and mental health head on. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. Yeah. it's also, But it also is kind of like, well, you know, she had all these problems, but you're still... Uh, Letting her fly. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, you can, you can stop her. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've got Hera, and I loved Hera's usage in this book. Me too. She's not she's not in it a bunch, mm-hmm. but... Um, it took a while for her to show up, and I was actually really surprised by that. Um, it was It's very much a matter of where they used her for marketing, mm-hmm. because, like, saying, this intelligence guy you've never heard of before puts this group together wouldn't pique her interest but saying Hera does does pique her interest mm-hmm. <laughs> um and like you i really liked seeing her as a general and you know her role in this book comes perfectly out of rebels and i i really hope we get more of her story you, filled in you sense you sense your, she's at a very different point in her arc mm-hmm. uh in this book compared to where yeah. we last saw her in rebels yeah and she's still very i mean she's still very young she would be in her 30s here mm-hmm. you know so yeah i i'm i was glad to see her and hope we get more of her story in other media <laughs> She's very clever and knows exactly which buttons to push yeah. to get the yeah. most out of this misfit unit. Yeah. Now, the one thing, I don't want to say I was disappointed in it, but we definitely didn't get as much of the Imperial perspective in this book yeah, as we ex- did in other books. I was expecting more, but by the end of the book, I saw why. Yeah. And I expect we'll be getting a lot more of it. Yeah, like Nares. Uh, Colonel Nares is obviously like the villain of this book and she was written very well. I really liked her, like her perspective and she's an older Imperial. I loved how she kept calling rebels separatists. Yeah. And it like, it's, it's a really interesting idea. Like, okay, yeah, they're always the same, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, not realizing like, oh no, the separatists are like, you guys became the bad guys, but, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, but you didn't really like, 
it was it's definitely not the sort of situation where you get that sort of co like through line big bad throughout the entire series yeah um but as you said we realize at the end of the book that this character we've gotten uh chapters from at the end of every section devon is actually the imperial pilot who uh mentored uh Yurika and in basically told her you need to leave now and join the rebellion or join the republic or you never will um and he's still staunchly imperial um and i have no idea what his like what his mo is going to be going forward but i'm really excited and scared to see how he ends up with yeah running into alphabet so, squadron <laughs> former Sh- former shadow wing higher up yeah uh, what was it soren kais i think was yeah hmm. soren uh cries cries yeah. um goes mia and is un and is soren ass- kais yeah and is this assumed alias mm-hmm. and then just decides at the end of the book screw it um and it's it seems like he is going to be a problem yeah for uh for Erica and yeah. company. Yep. And I'm I, here for it. <laughs> I am too. I can't wait. Yeah. So where do we think the story is going to go from here? No clue. I I honestly don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Like we haven't we haven't even touched on the plot because there there are a bunch of great plot breakdowns elsewhere. I wanted mm-hmm. to focus more on the characters today. Mm-hmm. Um but uh I don't know where it's going to go. Uh it mm. This first book was really open-ended yeah. on where it could possibly go and that has me excited for the next for the next book. I going in the in the future, I hope they stick around with Hera's yeah. battle group. Right. Um and I I I'd, I'd love to see uh some other elements of New Republic intelligence and Starfighter command mm-hmm. show up. Right. And maybe if it's not too much, we can have them cross paths with Dell and uh, uh, with Dell and I. Yeah, I do. I really liked the few mentions of other like stories going on, and I hope like this series sort of ties into more of the how the the end of the empire. Yeah. Um, that we know of from other stories. Yeah. So uh, I do have a feeling that this, like many of the other stories in mm-hmm. this era are going to ultimately wind up at Jakku. Yeah. Uh, let's do rapid fire Patreon questions. Okay. Diana, describe how you remote a Dan and I will give this to you because I airlock, don't airlock, airlock, airlock. <laughs> You're going to do a Rosalind on him. Mm-hmm. All right. Who airlocks him? Erica. Okay. Uh, what legends pilot would you like to see in books two and or three? Really? Any Wraith I think would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, with this crew. Right. I think Face would be interesting. Can you imagine Erica having to deal with Face? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I would love to see Tycho just because I want Tycho to be canonized, but also because I think Tycho would be an interesting uh, contradiction with Erica as uh, a defector. Okay. Mediocre Jedi asks, is Aiden an asshole or a really big asshole? Uh, for me right now, he's an asshole. For um, me, really big asshole. Yeah. Uh, what legend starfighter would you like to see in the squadron? Like, like actual ship? Yeah, actual ship. 
I I don't. That's hard for me because I thought the non-mainline starfighters got weird. Yeah, I would say I will say tie interceptor. Yeah, because I loved when the race ended up using the interceptors. Yeah, that, not exactly a legend starfighter, but I right. would be cool to see them use that. Yeah. Uh, Julian asks, since Alphabet Squad, uh, is that Julian? Yes, yeah, sorry, my I can't read my screen anymore. <laughs> since Alphabet Squadron's first book is the first book in the trilogy, what would you like to see explored in the next two books? Personally, I would like to see another tie-in uh, with the Tie Fighter comic books or something like that. Um, I know it's a long shot, but I'd love to see some. This has the potential to make its way and get mentioned in some video game mm, stuff. Yeah, and I think it'd be really cool there. Yeah. Um. Especially if they do, like, any sort of, like, post-Return of the Jedi, like, TV or anything like that. Yeah. Okay, and is that it? That is it. Okay, we're gonna go wrap up there, because we need to go watch the World Cup now. We do! Woohoo! Woo! Okay, this episode of Tashi Station Radio has been brought to you in part by you, our Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash Tashi Station. One dollar gets you into our Patreon-exclusive Slack team. You can find Nancy on Twitter with Nancy Pants, that's Nancy with an I. You can find me with Lane Winry, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. The official account is at Tashi Station. You can find our columns and news at TashiStation.net. If you like what you hear, by the way, uh, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcast from you can listen to this show and all of our other shows on the tashi station radio master feed thanks for listening to another episode we'll catch you all next time bye bye pew, 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 pew. TSR is brought to you by you, our Patreon subscribers. Visit patreon.com slash Tashi Station to help us keep the lights on and to get access to our Patreon-exclusive Slack team.